the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we turn our attention to proclaiming of Scripture, let us pray. God of abundant life, by the gift of your Spirit, turn our hearts and minds to hear your living word afresh. Make our lives answer your eternal word with resurrection hope. Amen. The reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 9 9 to 14. It's on page 601 of the Pew Bible, if you care to follow. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger-pointing, the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness, and your gloom will be like the noon. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you, even in parched places. God will rescue your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundation of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. If you stop trampling the Sabbath, stop doing whatever you want on my holy day, and consider the Sabbath a delight, sacred to the Lord, honored, and honored it instead doing things your way. Seeking what you want and doing business as usual, then you will take delight in the Lord. If you let you ride on the heights of the earth, you will sustain you with heritage of your ancestor Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Listen, God is still speaking. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath 
untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it to get a drink, then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at the extraordinary things he was doing. The word of the Lord. In 2001, George W. Bush was inaugurated as the 43rd President of the United States. Just days before, Apple released the iTunes media player and the online encyclopedia Wikipedia went live. In 2001, United Nations Secretary General Kofi Annan shared a Nobel Peace Prize for his work revitalizing that body and renewing its commitment to human rights. In 2001, a U.S. postage stamp cost 34 cents. A gallon of gas averaged a buck 45. And if you had a cell phone, it was likely distributed by the Finnish company Nokia. In 2001, Dale Earnhardt died after a three-car collision at the Daytona 500. In 2001, most of this year's high school graduates were born. On this day, in 2001, I was 14 years old. I was likely slogging through my summer reading for my soon-to-start freshman English class. Up to that point, I had never traveled any further east than Rapid City, South Dakota. I didn't know that the New York skyline featured two prominent towers housing the World Trade Center. In 2001, I got a crash course in geopolitics when two hijacked planes careened into those towers. Eighteen years is not an insignificant amount of time. Eighteen years is practically a lifetime for many students going to college in the next weeks. Eighteen years is an eternity for the people of Afghanistan suffocating from endless war. Think about what you were doing 18 years ago. Take stock of what has changed. Acknowledge what has not. For 18 years, a Judean woman was bent over, unable to stand up. Jesus emphasizes this length of time, describing her as a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years. 
18 years is a long time to be bent over or to be bent together as the language of the New Testament describes her situation. She is bent in on herself. Had her spine always curved dramatically from infancy to the present? Did she suffer an accident as an adult? We don't know. But I imagine that for 18 long years, she gazed at the ground, at the dust and the dung on the roadside. For 18 long years, she looked at her feet, at her broken toenails, at her calloused and cracked toes. I imagine that faces were an uncommon sight for her, that the vast tapestry of stars above was either unknown or a distant memory for her. But flights of imagination risk lapsing into pity, which would be a mistake. Pity distances me from this woman, sets me above her, Compassion, on the other hand, places me alongside her. Pity teaches us to cluck and shake our heads when we encounter disability. Too bad. Pity reinforces the notion that disabled folks are less than, less intelligent, less capable, less human. Compassion teaches us to see the person experiencing disability. Compassion presses us to question a world that disables rather than enables. As writer and wheelchair user Kara Leibowitz writes, if I am using my wheelchair and I can't go to a restaurant because it doesn't have a ramp, Am I disabled by my cerebral palsy, or am I disabled by the inaccessibility of the restaurant? Compassion sees this woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Unlike those other gospel stories where four people lower their paralyzed friend to Jesus from the roof, this story makes no mention of assistance from others. This woman chose to honor the Sabbath by praying at the synagogue and hearing the wisdom of Torah. Neither did she ask for any attention from Jesus. It is Jesus who notices her. He calls her. He lays his hands on her. Professor Janet Childers, whom I consider my fairy godmother of preaching, takes us right to that moment when Jesus laid hands on the woman in the synagogue. Luke writes, when he saw her, Jesus called her to him. To him, in front of him for sure, but closer, close enough 
so that a moment later, Jesus touches her so close enough, near enough to look her in the face, don't you think? Do you think he would have pronounced those words without looking her in the eyes? Woman, you are set free from your sickness. Would he have said that looming over her? This is Jesus we're talking about. He called her to him and looked her in the face, don't you think? How do you suppose he looked her in the face? If the woman is not simply bent over, but bent together, bent in on herself, then, as Childers says, I'm thinking he had no choice but to get down on his knees, way down on his knees, down in the dirt on his knees, and crane his neck to look into her face. And if you're kneeling on the ground, looking up into someone's face, what are your options for placing your hands on them? You know what I think? I think Jesus put his hands on her feet, tenderly touching the scars and scabs that she had seen for 18 long years. This is a portrait of compassion, not pity, not looking down on another, but coming alongside. Luke gives us a glimpse of the God who does not stand at a distance, but gets down on hands and knees with us, a God who bends down to embrace us when we cannot even lift our heads. Now, there have been people throughout history who have read this passage and concluded, based on the disagreement between Jesus and the synagogue leader about the Sabbath, that the gospel draws a line in the sand between Jews and Christians. On one side, purportedly, is the synagogue leader complaining about Sabbath observance representing all of Judaism as legalistic and lacking compassion. On the other side is Jesus, shaming the synagogue leader and other opponents, representing Christianity as loving and kind. Folks, let's be clear. Jesus says to this woman, you are set free from your sickness. Though Satan bound her, God liberated her. And if we know our Bible, we know that the God who frees is the God of Exodus. Jesus argues, call Vahomer, from lesser to greater, a rhetorical strategy regularly employed by the rabbis. Jesus bending down to grasp that daughter of Abraham's feet, echoes in his actions what the psalmist proclaimed. Let my whole being 
bless the Lord and never forget all of the Lord's good deeds, how God forgives all your sins, heals all your sickness, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion, and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like an eagle's. The line in the sand has never been between Judaism and Christianity. It has always been for every generation of God's people. For us today, the question, will you come forward when the Lord calls you near? Will you rise when the Holy One sets you free? Will you truly live and, and help others live to the fullest. This fullness of life lies at the heart of the Sabbath, that crowning seventh day of creation in which God wove rest and peace into the fabric of the world. To honor the Sabbath is not simply to cease from activity, but to dwell in what Orthodox theologian Abraham Heschel called a cathedral in time. It is a day of delight, of awe, of trust. So it is no wonder that the prophet Isaiah urges his community not to trample on the Sabbath with business as usual. In synagogues around the world, Children of Abraham read this chapter from Isaiah every year on the morning of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On this solemn day of fasting, the congregation hears the Holy One denounce fasting, marveling how on your fast day you do whatever you want and oppress all your workers. You quarrel and brawl, and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists. You shouldn't fast as you are doing today if you want to make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast I choose? A day of self-affliction, of bending one's head like a reed, and of lying down in mourning clothing in ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke? For every child of Abraham, whether she worships in a synagogue, a cathedral, or a mosque, the gift of sacred time means nothing at all if it does not impact everyday time. I think about this woman, bent together, bent in on herself by a spirit of sickness. She decided that day to honor the Sabbath by coming to the place of worship, the place of community, the place of Torah, God's gracious words sweeter than honey on the tongue. 
I don't imagine she came because she was bored or because someone made her or because she felt guilty. I imagine she came because even in the midst of suffering, she wanted to live out her faith. There, in the place of worship, the place of community, the place of grace, she encountered the living God in a radically intimate way, and she rose to stretch her spine and her arms to praise God. God touched her life. There is no way that she wouldn't share that blessing with others. I think about us gathered here in this place of worship, in this place of community and grace. We are here because God has somehow, somewhere, stirred in the depths of our guts. On the inside, we might be as bent together as that daughter of Abraham. If that is you today, I pray that you experience Jesus bending down on his hands and knees to look you in the face, saying, you are set free. I love you. Having been unbound gives us new perspective. We can see where others are bent over by oppressive burdens. We can see there are so many in the world who need compassion and freedom. There are people in this community beyond these walls who are bent and bruised. Folks who run a daily race against depression and self-loathing and lose every time. There are families in our community who are bound by a spirit of generational poverty, bound by a spirit of entrenched racism, bound by addiction and despair. Shouldn't those neighbors be set free on this sacred day, the day of resurrection? This, after all, is not just the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, but it is also the mystical eighth day, a foretaste of a time beyond history, a time when God will heal and restore all creation. Beloved, God has set us free. As the church unbound, let us reach out to others to untie the yoke, to break the bonds, only looking down on someone to give them a hand up. When we do so, we shall know the fullness of grace that evokes that unbound woman's praise. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to the one in three, the three in one, God most mighty, most merciful, most wise. Amen.